G'day, g'day. This is Rita Joyan and welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast, how to turn a passion into a profession. My guest today is Brian Ashworth and he is the CEO of Disaster Aid Australia. Why does that matter? Because he's the gentleman that says that life doesn't finish when you retire. So at the age of 60, he retired after 40 years working as an engineer. He went, goes to a conference one day and he finds his passion, his calling, which is helping people get clean water to them uh, in the Asia Pacific. And he does that through Disaster Aid Australia, which he, he is a CEO of, but an honorary one, which means he doesn't get paid for it but he gets paid with a complete level of fulfillment. And now I talked to him about, uh, in the interview, about his transition from corporate work to retiring, to what that means for him, to what that his, how what work is required of him, being the CEO of an organisation that does life-saving work and you're not getting paid for it. Um, he has, in the organisation, he has let, they have given water or provided safe water to over 120 major schools in Bhutan, which equates to 80,000 children. And that's just in Bhutan. That's just one project that they did. This interview is about how life truly and the calling and the passion that you have can even begin after you retire, that life does begin after retirement if you want it to, and how a single passion can single-handedly propel your life in a direction that you never knew was possible. And so this interview is just goes dives, dives deep into what it means to work past the age of 60, how that looks, and how that is really put on steroids when your passion is turned into a profession, even after the corporate world, uh, you walk away from it. It's a, great, it's a great interview. It's about Disaster Aid Australia, how they provide, provide water and disaster aid recovery from countries in the Asia Pacific. Listen, it will give you so much inspiration. And the way they do it, how they do it is different from what I've heard from others and other charities. So you will be in the know, not only to get ahas into ideas about your own work and your own direction and trajectory, but you'll get to see the blueprint of what Brian has done to not only find his passion after retirement, but actually lead it, lead the organization as CEO and be able to lead such a incredible, an incredible work, body of work that allows people to live safely because they get water, because Brian heads an organization that just speaks to his passion. I mean, this is, just for the history books, guys. Enjoy the podcast. I'll catch you on the other side. Brian, welcome to the podcast. It's Thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to speak and uh, uh, as well as tell people something about myself, tell them something about uh, Disaster Aid, the charity that I'm involved in. Yeah, yeah, because you are CEO of Disaster Aid Australia, honorary, which means, which you, you told me before we pressed record that it's a non-paid gig, being the CEO of this, but you retired in 2017 and you became a volunteer of the Rotary Club. And now there's a lot of questions I want to ask you because you founded, or the, the club, the Rotary Club founded Charity Disaster Aid Australia you were working in the marketing um, and giving some engineering expertise. And then in 2019, you became CEO of Disaster Aid Australia. And what's incredible to me is that you've said life doesn't finish when you retire. In fact, it's probably keeping you going a lot stronger than when before you retired. So could you please tell me uh, how did you even, why did you even involve yourself? Because you, you've retired. You could have just stayed back, read some books, taking some long walks and life is good, right? But instead you've involved yourself in a very serious charity providing clean water. So it's not something that you can take lightly. The work is incredibly important, life-changing, life-saving. 
why did you go into, why did you come out of retirement to do, become a CEO of a charity? Well, I suppose uh, it, it starts really when, when I was working. I've worked as a water engineer mm -hmm. most of my uh, uh, professional career. And um, I took that uh, position really uh, of water engineering because I wanted to uh, do something that I thought was uh, good for the world overall, let us say. Uh, right at the start of my career, I actually worked for airports. And I thought working in water was a little bit better uh, than uh, just helping people get on holiday. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, so, it depends if you're asking the holiday makers. <laughs> yeah, I do go on holidays myself by air, but but I just thought not working in the water was um, yeah, for sure. um, a more fulfilling career, let us say. Mm -hmm, absolutely. But you uh, were an engineer for 40 years, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I uh, got an engineering degree um, and uh, then worked for uh, various water authorities, contractors, mm -hmm. consultants over the years. Mm. And uh, then initially in England and later on uh, in Australia. Yeah. And then after, so after retiring after 40 years, you said to me just before we pressed record, you went and took a part-time uh, job and then your wife said to you, why the hell, why on earth are you doing that? Because you know what you really want to do. This is after retiring. Can you mm. tell us that story? Yeah, sure. What happened uh, was uh, I retired from full-time work when I was 60. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life <laughs> then. So I, I took a, a part-time job working uh, for a charity. And uh, after uh, a few months, we moved to uh, the Dandenong area, which is uh, where the Endeavour Hills Rotary Club um, is based. In Melbourne. In Melbourne, yeah. I'd, I'd been involved in Rotary for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And um, I went along to the Rotary Club and found that they were running a charity called Disaster Aid. Um, and uh, they uh, were having a conference. So I said, okay, well, I'll come along to the conference and, and see what it's all about. And uh, when I was working, I'd always taken an interest in, in uh, developing countries and thinking, oh, th this would be good if I could do something when I retired that helps developing countries. But I'd not really seen a project that I... I was convinced about. Mm -hmm. So when I went to the conference, um, they told me about what Disaster Aid did for disasters and also what they did for clean water. And they used this device here behind me, which is called a sky hydrant. Mm -hmm. What this device does is it provides 10,000 litres of bacteria-free water uh, a day, taking water directly out of a river or lake without the use of power, mm -hmm. without any fancy technology. Mm -hmm. And it costs around $3,000. And I thought, this is something right. that I could get involved in. I, I do have skills in water engineering, Right. And I also uh, have uh, skills in um, uh, digital uh, sphere right. um, in that I've been running a website for quite a number of years. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is, is something I can get behind. So uh, after the conference, the next week I was down at the office saying I want to volunteer. So, so this is a conference that was being being led by Rotary Club. This this was run by Disaster Aid, this charity, right. which is a uh, a project of the Rotary Club. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Rotary Club founded this uh, charity in two thousand and ten. Some members decided that they would like to get involved mm -hmm. uh, in international aid right. and set up the organisation. Uh, and, and run it quite successfully for a number of years. 
And so you go to this conference, you're convinced that this sky hydrant that provides clean water, that that's something that you could really be able to create impact and want to be involved in. So then you approach Disaster Eight as a volunteer. Yep, that, that's right. And okay. So I, I used to go uh, at that stage a couple of days a week um, mm -hmm. and I uh, would manage their website, their Facebook page, right. and start building some more uh, procedures mm. uh, to better utilize the sky hydrants. Okay. And, and so you were so working as a volunteer for about two years? Oh, no, I was a, a, a sort of part-time volunteer while I was still working for the first right. uh, nine months. Okay. And uh, then I got the opportunity to visit the Philippines. Yes. And actually see firsthand the difference that uh, we were making to people's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, I came home, told my wife all about it. And uh, she said to me, why are you wasting your time mm. with this part-time job? You know you want to do this. Yeah. Uh, so the next day I went into to my employer and said, okay, I'm quitting. I'm going to get wow. uh, involved. Um, in, in this project yeah, and so you know. I've, I've been doing this at least three days a week ever since okay and so so let me ask you this question for someone that's listening to you you retired at 60 then you had a part-time job that you go into this conference they talk to you about this incredible impact they're making with providing clean water you think i want to volunteer for them you've retired anyway but when you wanted to go and work leave that part-time job and go into disaster aid on a volunteer basis and put all your focus in that was that in terms of income was that a like did that kind of um, weigh on you at all not really I've, I've been pretty good throughout my career in putting money into super and such like so I'm not going to sound wealthy but uh, mm -hmm. um, you've been smart with your money yeah yes yeah. I, okay. I've uh, I've got enough money for the side for, for my needs. Okay, fantastic. All right. So you're going into disaster aid and then you're doing some, you know, you're doing some work for the marketing, providing some engineering advice here and there where you can. At what point did they appoint you as CEO? Like what happened to you for you being appointed as CEO of Disaster Aid Australia? Well, it, it's, it's a bit of a, a funny story, really. Um, I had obviously uh, been involved for two years then. And um, uh, I was fairly involved three days a week. I was on the board and uh, I went overseas on holiday. Mm -hmm. And uh, while the, I was overseas, uh, they had a, a board meeting and the 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 chair of, of Disaster Aid had retired and they were discussing what they wanted to do. And uh, one of the board members uh, at that meeting said, oh, well, what we need is a, a, a chief executive officer as well as a chair. Mm. And uh, someone else said, yeah, that's a good idea. Who should we have? And they looked around amongst themselves and no one put the hand up. So they said, oh, well, uh, how about Brian? So mm -hmm. I, I was uh, totally oblivious to this and got the minutes uh, of the meeting on the Monday and thought, well, I'm on a holiday. I'll have a look at it in a couple of days. So a couple of days later, I read the minutes and all of a sudden found I was the chief executive. <laughs> so there was a, a little bit of an interesting uh, meeting when I, I returned and uh, I said, well, before we go any further, hadn't you better formally ask me? <laughs> Get down on one knee, please. Yeah. <laughs> a big commitment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, there was a bit of a shock silence and they said, yeah, I'm going to accept, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so did you know what you're getting yourself into as CEO? Um, yeah, yeah, yes, as I say, I've been involved for a couple of years already, so okay. All right. um, I, I knew a, a lot about the organisation. I'd, I'd been, by that time, overseas uh, 
three times. So right. uh, I, I've got a, a pretty good feel for the, the organisation by that period. So Disaster Aid Australia primarily provides clean water to developing countries. Uh, you're now the head of it. You're the chief executive officer. And what's interesting to me is Disaster Aid Australia. So, so let's just start with that. You're the chief executive officer. What is your, what do you, what's, what do you do to head this charity? What is, what's your job description? Yeah. Well, before I, I get into that, I'll explain a little bit more about Disaster Aid. Mm -hmm. um, Disaster Aid originally started off um, as responding just to, to disasters. If there's a typhoon or an earthquake, um, we stepped in to provide help. And we originally provided help in the way of a, a box with a tent and cooking equipment and this sort of thing. We, did, we sent out two of our volunteers, um, which are called uh, DART, Disaster Aid Response Team. And they would meet with people and find a deserving community and then we'd ship a lot of these boxes out and, and we did that for uh, two or three years but what we found is the box wasn't the best solution but the box was a western solution to a developing uh, country uh, problem and uh, what we really needed to do was go out there and ask people what they wanted Mm. So we, we then adopted what a concept. <laughs> yeah, we ad adopted that approach. And um, as a result of that, we found that generally people wanted help rebuilding their homes and they wanted clean water because generally storms uh, dirtied up the, the water supply. So we started sending our volunteers with water filters and uh, a budget. And they would go out to that particular disaster area, um, help people with water filters, find out what they needed. And we would use a local Rotary Club there typically to make the contact and provide translations and such like. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we would go out buy building materials, uh, timber, galvanized iron sheets, nails, and such like, deliver them to the people, and they would rebuild their, their homes. And we're not talking about Australian homes here. We're talking about what Australians would probably say is like a garage or a garden shed, yeah. about that size. Uh, and th this was a, a real... Um, big step for us, we found that for less than the cost of the box, we could help someone rebuild their homes and they were much happier. Wow. Then got a, a, a tent, which they were stuck in and no money to rebuild the house. Mm. They, they had, had a house very quickly. It mm. got them hope, it got them involved. It followed the rotary principle of giving people uh, not a hand out, but a hand up. Mm. just assisting them, them to do that so just on that what was in the before you used to provide the box what was in the box well it was a tent and some blankets and some uh cooking equipment and such like wow so that cost what you're doing now which is cost less than the that the tent and the blankets and all that just. yeah basically it's quite by the time you, you paid for the box and uh, a big enough tent for a family uh, and you've got to warehouse it and then you've got to ship it. Yeah. It, it all adds up. Uh, whereas you can buy building materials um, in developing countries much cheaper than you can at uh, your local Bunnings. Mm. Um, and there's no transport costs. So you basically, you can buy a village full of uh, materials uh, and pay for a truck to, to truck them 20, 30 kilometers, and that's your, your total freight costs. A, lo a lot uh, more cost effective than shipping materials. So then how are you then, who's building the actual little shed that's going to be called a house? Like who's building that? People are building it themselves. They know how to, like like literally, that they would know how to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's people in, in the community 
that do and and it's a fairly simple structure okay, okay. Uh, it's not as you say as complex as there's a house it's more like a garden shed okay, um, okay. We, we we do help them um with some techniques that make the houses a bit more resilient to future disasters mm-hmm. okay um but uh, it is a fairly basic house but it's what people are used to and what people are very happy to to be back in so you're sourcing the actual this is very interesting for me brian you're sourcing actual material from the village the actual town itself oh no probably 20 30 kilometers away so say okay. there's there's been um a a flood yeah. um and uh our villages in in a valley are all decimated mm-hmm. 20 30 kilometers away there's still going to be businesses that are operating they've not been affected same mm-hmm. as a tidal wave for mm-hmm. instance or tsunami yes inland there's still going to be businesses uh, and uh, uh, so we can actually get the stuff quite easily, not at the site of the disaster, but not too far to travel. Okay, all right. So you're also helping the local community build the economy with purchasing from them? Yeah, yeah. And taking the material. And it's not like a Bunnings, you know, this is how you build a house. They would know how to build the house, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and we, we can uh, give advice. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, on, on on that sort of thing, we do have um, within our operational manual uh, some sheets of advice, and uh, at the moment, one of my projects is to uh, uh, produce instructional videos, mm. so people can actually find out a, a, a bit more about how it, it can be done. And would they have enough reception to be able to view a video in the disaster areas? One of of the things, and just coming back to safe water, um, is uh, one of my sayings is it's easier to find free Wi-Fi in developing countries than safe water. Oh, wow. Uh, Lots of people in developing countries these days have uh, a smartphone. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, they can access the internet. Okay. All right. Beautiful. So... Disaster aid not only provides water, but also housing, like material for housing. To be yeah. Anything else that they do? No, th- those are the, the two, okay. two principal things. I'll just talk about how we got onto water. As I yeah. say, we originally provided um, water for, um, for the disaster. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened was um, we provided these filters that provide safe drinking water and um, the the board at the time this was before I became involved actually uh, fairly serious about making sure that we were doing the right thing which is how we we stopped doing the box and started buying building materials the other thing that, that people told them when we went back to find out how we did was they said our health is better now before the disaster because we've got clean water Mm. Um, and just to give you a quick statistic uh, world health and organization say 80 percent of the illness in developing countries is from contaminated water so um we had this situation that we could see that the safe water Mm. was something that we should or we could get interested in. Okay. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. It's if you're a, a purely disaster charity, it's not good for your mental health, basically, because you, it, in between disasters, you sat around with not much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's also hard to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they thought about the water, um, the, the idea was that the fact that over a thousand people uh, die every day in the developing world from contaminated water, mainly children. Mm. Uh, and uh, again, that figure 80% of illnesses in the developing world are caused by contaminated water. 
if that isn't a disaster, what is? Yes, yes. Uh, so that was was uh, a good in for disaster aid. And the other thing is, um, with having clean water projects, we it is a, a way that we can uh, raise money all year round. We don't have to wait for disaster and then, yeah, yeah. then do an appeal. And so that come, brings me to, I'm going to come back to you being a CEO, but how do you raise money then? What are you doing to raise money? Well, because um, we are a Rotary Club project, uh, over 60% of our income comes from Rotary Clubs. So um, what we uh, do typically is uh, uh, we publicise ourselves to Rotary Clubs we attend Rotary Club meetings as guest speakers and explain what we're, we're doing. We give those clubs the opportunity to get involved in something internationally by actually sponsoring one of our installations mm -hmm. or, or just making a, a general donation. Okay. So uh, when you say for Rotary Clubs, so are members of Rotary Clubs donating money themselves? Yeah, as I say, 60% of our income in a typical year comes from club donations. Okay. Um, and then we have some corporate support at the moment, that's quite small, but also quite a number of individuals make donations. Okay. And some of those, do those individuals um, would be Rotary members as well. Okay. So how much would it take, for example, to, I know you said before the sky hydrant that filters water that makes it clean so people can drink. That's $3,000, for example, Australian, right? What about for building a, a home, you know, getting the materials and sending it to the, the transport? How much is that in Australian dollars for one home to be built? Probably about uh, $600. Right. Uh, we responded um, last year to... Uh, a situation where they had three typhoons in the Philippines mm. and for $32,000 we mm. rebuilt 60, uh, 64 houses. Wonderful. That's amazing. That's, that's truly amazing. And that's all happening by volunteers, um, by charitable organisation and all 100% of funds goes. Is there anything for admin costs or anything else or is it how does it distribute the the well, money that you receive? We, we, we can't say that, that all the, the money goes directly to aid. Uh, we do have um, a couple of people that come in uh, for work, but it, it has historically been about 0 0.6 of a person. Yeah. And uh, with the COVID, it's uh, down to point, uh, 0.4 of a person. Okay. Um, uh, but we have uh, marketing expenditure. We have an office which we um, use to, to store the sky hydrants and do training. This is where I'm sat today. We've got a, a yeah. pretty good deal on the rent. But mm -hmm. um, typically, um, around 80% of our aid actually, uh, or 80% of our donations goes out in aid. Okay. And Fantastic. if you were to compare that with uh, uh, the bigger charities, um, they are paying people and counting that as aid, whereas in actual fact, um, as CEO, probably half my time is involved in looking to, to raise money and half, half the time uh, is uh, directed to actually aid delivery. Okay, so, so that, that's great. So that comes to the question of what do you do as CEO? So your time is divided by raising money and then delivering of that uh, aid to the places. So now when you say uh, raising money, so other than Rotarians who donate and 60%, what other things do you do to raise money? Um, basically, um We've not been a huge fundraiser, as you say. We, we have this uh, great network of supporters through Rotary that, that help us get our message across. And when, when people um, hear some of our messages, 
they're very keen to donate. Okay. We, um, probably the most impressive uh, thing in, in our messages is we provide safe water to people for $1 per person per year. Wow. So for less than one, buying one litre yeah. of bottled water from the supermarket, we're providing for, uh, we're providing a safe water for a year. It's amazing. That's so um, when people see that, um, then uh, they are normally very happy to support us. Yeah, for sure. And so you, you mentioned the sky hydrant before, which is the mechanism uh, for those who are on the podcast and who are listening and can't see. It's, um, it's, an, it's an actual apparatus that filters water. So if I go to this in a developing country, I could go to a river or a stream, the water's not clean to drink, but I would take that water, put it into that filter called the sky hydrant. It would filter all the stuff that would guck and bring back clean water, which then I would be able to drink. Yes, uh, it will will take out the dirt that, that's in the, the river and it will also take out the bacteria. Okay, and now who invented this up uh, this sky hydrant? Who is the person behind it? Um, there's two elements to it. Mm -hmm. The actual um, filter membrane, which sits inside, yeah. um, was developed by the uh, University of New South Wales. Oh. And that's been in existence uh, for over 25 years. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the uh, people that was involved in, in that uh, operation, which became a company called Memtech, mm -hmm. um, is a guy called Rhett Butler. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he retired, he thought that he could do something about unsafe water mm. in uh, developing countries. Yeah. So he took these membranes and played about with, with the membranes and came up with the, the device um, that houses a single membrane yeah. and uh, will provide clean water without the use of, of uh, power or treatment chemicals. And uh, so uh, he runs a non-profit called Sky Juice. Right. And uh, um, he uh, arranges for the manufacturer. We buy them. Other people buy them. Yes. Uh, people like Oxfam and Red Cross also buy them. Okay. But, but we buy the units uh, and then uh, provide them uh, to organisations that we work with overseas. And we also sell them with support to other charities that might want safe water for their projects. Okay, so you could you would be like a reseller of the product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's right. We 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 provide um, training uh, as well as as the units themselves. So so we put some added value in there. So the the apparatus itself costs three thousand dollars to purchase. And then how much water can it actually carry for it to get filtered? Each of, of the uh, units, uh, they, they come in two sizes. The one, bit, one I've got behind me is uh, uh, called the GEM unit, mm -hmm. and that will filter 5,000 litres of water a day, enough for 350 people. The large unit called the MAX will filter 10,000 litres a day, enough for 700 people. Wow, 700 people. And th so that's per day. That means 700 people could drink water clean without any, and it's 100% guaranteed that it is filtered back bacteria-free water. Yeah. We can't do things like, like remove salinity. Yeah. And if, if there was toxic chemicals in the water, we can't remove those. But, <laughs> but for a typical river that is... It's just got dirt in it. Or um, feces. Sorry? Or feces of an yeah, animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remove all feces, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So that's interesting. So now, what was, what I was, I, while I was on your website, Disaster Aid um, Australia, I saw that there was this thing called Be More Than a Tourist. And that, 
So there was a, there's some wording at the very bottom, be more than a tourist in Bhutan. And that allows someone who is traveling to Bhutan, for example, to be able to go to a school, see these filters. So it's actually being eyewitness to the work that's happening on the ground. So you're not just going to just sightsee, but you're actually going to be inspired by the work that Disaster Aid Australia is doing and doing so in the company of people that you select that would guide the tourist to a school, the pupils, the principal, the impact of the sky hydrant. And that's what's called be more than a tourist. Is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, it's even more than that. Mm -hmm. um, the, the sky hydrant itself um, weighs uh, less than 20 kilos. So with the um, package that we had, mm -hmm. um, before people set off, we gave them a hydrant. They carried it with their check luggage, wow. traveled to the country. Um, as part of the holiday, we arranged for them to then personally deliver it to a site where the preparations had been made. He then wow. actually saw the unit installed and, and met the people. It was a, um, an interesting uh, exercise, which unfortunately was cut very short with the COVID and travel okay. restrictions, but it, it's certainly one that as travel again becomes possible, we will be looking to restart. Because that's a brilliant idea. Sometimes I've traveled and I've wondered, I wish I could go and just get to know the actual people, but it's it's unnerving because I don't know what area is safe. There's a language barrier. So there's things that happen where you think, well, I won't go because I don't want to be you know, interrupting anyone or disturbing anyone. But with you guys, you actually take people to see the work on the ground and to be with people, take the sky hydrant with them on the travels. You know, that's all exciting. Who came up with that idea? Yeah, I'm afraid that's that's me. I, oh my goodness, I, that's a brilliant idea. I, I tend to be to be a bit bit left field, but it, it originated from from my feelings when I first mm -hmm. went out, and I I said, you know, what a wonderful experience I'm having, mm. actually meeting the people. I wish the people that support us could do this. Yeah. I mean, uh, being involved in, in international aid is satisfying, but it's very humbling mm. as well, because um, I'm always conscious of, of that I'm experiencing things that, that people who are very generously supporters don't mm. have the chance to experience. So I, I came up with this idea as a, let's see if we can give people that experience. Wonderful. And that's that's what, what really hit home to me because that's something that is so unique and so needed. And just, it really does, like you say, it takes you to the core of what you're doing and connects the individual with the work, the impact. And who knows, they might become a Rotarian, work for disaster. You know, you could, just because the passion takes yeah. over. You, know, yeah. you see the, the real results that are taking place and the lives that it's able to uphold and lift up that you become married to the cause yourself because of this yeah. inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Can I can I book you in for a ticket when travel <laughs> resumes? You know, I would so Bhutan has been on my list to go to because it's it's a country that's very rarely spoken about. That's very rarely taught. And so I've I've the I know one person who's been and she absolutely loved it. And since then it's been on my list to go. So as soon as I mean, we're in lockdown right now. I mean, let's, mm. we're, to get to travel stage is like a little while, but definitely, I would be definitely interested to go because it's, you know, it's one in a million. But it brings me back to the question, when people are going, they're paying for themselves to go. And I want to make that clear for everyone that we are paying ourselves to go. Is that the same case for someone from Disaster Aid Australia, that they pay for themselves to go? Or is it from the funds that are being um, raised? Um, it, it's an um, interesting question that generally uh, as disaster aid, if we are sending a volunteer over to a country, then we will pay uh, airfares, economy only, by the way, mm -hmm. and uh, accommodation, mm -hmm. and uh, they give, give their time freely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. 
sometimes uh, uh, people elect to pay their own fares when they're traveling for ourselves and, and sometimes yes. they, they pay, pay for their accommodation. Okay. Uh, I'm reasonably comfortable. Uh, mm -hmm. So quite often I'll, I'll pay for all my meals and, yeah. and accommodation. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, if I travel overseas for disaster aid, uh, for aid delivery, uh, yeah, they do pay, pay airfare for me. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. How do you work out, Brian, as the CEO of Disaster Aid, where, what is the criterion that you use to say what country deserves uh, your attention for disaster aid versus another country? Like two countries, you know, like what is the criterion that you guys go through? to decipher or give attention to which country over what? Basically, we've got to be invited, first of all. Uh, oh. We don't uh, impose ourselves on people and say, you need to be helped okay. and we're here, here to do it. Um, but uh, it, it is, again, the, the old-style Western approach. Mm. People need to, to want us to help them. And... Uh, we originally uh, went to the Philippines where we do a lot of our work because we were asked if we would help with the disaster there and we made good contacts. So we do a lot of work in the Philippines um, because we've got good partners. And good partners mean that we can train people in, the, in that country, uh, which saves us travel costs. Mm. Uh, and they have a better sense of ownership of the yeah. outcome and and the same in Bhutan we were actually asked by the Rotary Club uh, which is in Timpu there's only one Rotary Club in the whole of the country <laughs> but they asked us to get involved mm -hmm. we uh, sent a couple of our darts and, and they did a few pilot installations mm -hmm. and uh, uh, back in 2018 the uh, chair of, of disaster at that time made a promise to the people in Bhutan that we would provide 120 sky hydrants to that country yeah. for every major school. We've actually shipped the sky hydrants and um, because of COVID restrictions they're just doing the final installations at the moment. Yeah because the safe water was given to 120 schools in Bhutan which equal to 80,000 children being able to drink safe water. Yeah. That is a, a, an incredible, incredible achievement. 80,000 yeah. children to be able to access clean water uh, through the Sky Hydrant and through your work. Now, what's important to me is say, for example, a country like Afghanistan, that's top of mind in the more, at the moment with what's going on with the US withdrawal, now, for them, they would need something like, I can, I'm just thinking off the top of my head as I'm, we're talking right now, a sky hydrant, because there are many people who are short of water. How would some, a country like Afghanistan even know to contact you or even know, to, do you know what I mean? Like, how is there a way, how do countries who you don't have a partnership with, like, how could they contact you? Um, well, I'll, I'll answer it in a, in a couple of different ways. First of all, what, what I see as my role in, in uh, a chief, exec chief executive officer is uh, to get our message out. And so I just talk to people, talk to people from other charities, look to make partnerships. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, that can be uh, fairly effective in that we work with several organizations um, for instance, uh, we've uh, worked in Myanmar with the Karen people uh, through uh, a lady um, who uh, wants to help those people. Um, so the first thing is, is we, we put our message out to people mm -hmm. and uh, then, then see who, who responds or if we find someone that's looking for a solution, we talk to them. As far as these countries go, our area is the Asia-Pacific, basically. Okay. Um, we don't want to be buying round-the-world tickets when we can 
travel for four or five hours um, to get to place. And um, we are only a small charity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pre-COVID, we were um, raising about $400,000 a year. Um, With the the hit to COVID, which um, uh, has meant that many of the Rotary Clubs um, that uh, raise money on our behalf have not been able to, to run fundraising events or cook sausages outside Bunnings or, mm. or whatever, yeah. uh, have had less income. So, so yeah. our income had, has dropped uh, a fair bit. So we are limited w- with income at the moment. Okay. So um, okay. we t- tend to concentrate on um, two or three countries um, but if, if a charity or other organisation uh, come to us and say, we'd like to uh, work with you for Safe Water there and they've got, got independent funds, then we'll um, uh, see what we can do to, to set something up. Fantastic. And when you say the word partnership, partnership in this context means that, say, for example, I'm a charity and I would contact you to say, listen, you, do, you guys do clean water I'm on the ground in this particular country providing X, Y, Z. Let's seek the collaboration. If I can get your filters, your clean water, your instructions of how to do it, and then you give it to us and we'll execute on the ground. Is that what we mean by that? Yeah. Um, Generally, we'd expect them to pay for the sky hydrants, but we throw in in the the training and we'll do do training via Zoom. Okay. if they have people coming to Australia and back, we can, we can do hands-on training. Right. Um, over the last couple of years, we've built a, a suite of uh, videos that are available on YouTube so that they can uh, do that. So yeah, yeah, we, we'll um, help help other people as long as they can uh, fund the, the price of the sky hydrants. Okay, all right. And then my other question is to you, Brian, is why didn't you ever want to, because I've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast who run social enterprises, who run their own charities, um, amongst other entrepreneurial ventures. And my question to you is, you're the first person that I've interviewed who is the CEO of an of a, of a organization, Disaster Aid Australia, but is affiliated with a bigger organization called Rotary. Why is it that you've chosen to go that route and not start up your own charity independent of Rotary? Okay, well, I would say to to people who want to get into uh, the social enterprise charitable Mm. sort of space, Mm. that Rotary is a great resource. Rotary clubs uh, can help you uh, find a passion if you want, feel you want to do something of mm-hmm. value, whether it's clean water or helping the homeless or, or something, there'll be someone in Rotary that is running a project about that. Yeah. So, so if you join Rotary, um, you should be able to find something and get some experience in that if, if you want to make that your career. Uh, by getting involved in, in Rotary. Uh, I mean, that's what's happened, happened to me. Uh, and if you have a passion and you join a Rotary club and you can convince other members of that club that your passion is going to help, then that club can support you and help you to, to raise money. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, those members may volunteer. So though I am, my passion is, uh, is this organization, I turn up to, to uh, fry sausages outside Bonnings mm. to help raise money for other people's passions, such, such as uh, helping the homeless and disadvantages in Australia or, or recently helping the bushfire victims. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's 
they support me in my passion. I, I support other members in their passions. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, I do have one set of other questions. It's called the rapid fire round, where I ask you a series of questions. Yeah. And then you fire back the top of mind answer to me. But before I get to that, is there anything that I didn't ask you that is important for you to say? Um, probably, I think the, the, the key messages are that, that one of the we do follow on the principles of Rotary, which is is uh, that give people a hand up, not a handout. Mm. We actually uh, don't impose our solution, and we expect people to contribute, and that means that we uh, multiply the effect of what we do. Mm -hmm. And and the other message, which I'll just remind you is it only costs a dollar to give people safe water for a year. Wow. That's incredible. And, and just on that, the, the Sky Hydrant, how much water does that hold? Like, did you say 10, how many litres of water does that hold? Ten, it, it doesn't hold, it actually treats 10,000 litres of water a day. 10,000 litres of water a day. That's huge. Mm. Wow. Enough. Uh, the World Health Organization say uh, that a, a system should be able to provide 15 litres per person. So wow. um, the 10,000 litres works out at 700 people. So do you think this is a better, better way than building a well? Like, you know, you, you can go and pay a few thousand dollars to build a well. Would, like, like long term, what would you think? A well is better or something like this? Wells are, are very tricky things. Uh, if you go to some uh, countries, mm. uh, you'll find that the, the well water is not that clean anyway. Uh, you, it's not unusual to find a, a septic tank for a toilet and 50 meters away, there's a well. Oh. So the water is, People are using the toilets, that water is seeping into the groundwater and it's coming out the well. That's not to say all wells are bad, but yeah. um, just because it's a well doesn't mean it's, it's clean. It might be cleaner than the river, but it might not be safe. Okay. Oh, well, thank you. I, see, I didn't know that. I just thought wells were the way to go because never thought about even that this, mm. the sewerage could be so close and then it could seep through. Yeah, yeah, the, the same with springs. Some, some, sometimes a spring might, most of the water from a spring might come off a, a field where there's been cattle grazing and it might only take a, a day or two for, for the water to run, runs off and, and soaks in uh, from that field that's full of uh, cattle feces yeah. uh, to get into that spring. Mm, okay. All right. Thank you for that. appreciate it. So let's go into the rapid fire round questions. Brian, so it's the first answer is the right answer, and it's just to consolidate what we've gone through here. So what's one key marketing strategy that you would recommend in promoting a charity? It's to make it simple and cost-effective. Okay. Value for money. Value for money. Love it. The hardest part about turning your passion into a profession? It's finding the opportunity. Okay. Basically, I was lucky. Wow. I love that. Okay. What's the easiest part of turning your passion into a profession? Easy. Um. <gasps> For me, it was having the right skill set. Okay, okay, all right. Uh, it, it, I, I'm that lucky individual who had the appropriate skill set when the opportunity presented. Wonderful. If a book or movie was made of your journey, what would the genre be? Yeah. I remember a film called The Accidental Tourist. <laughs> uh, and 
Um, I came into this by accident. I am to move to, to Dandenong. And that's why I initially yeah. became involved. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Um, one, of, one of the biggest lessons you've learned in your journey at um, the organisation that you're at, you know, Disaster Aid Australia, biggest lesson? Communication. Communication that you've got to over-communicate or don't intrude with communication? I think it's very difficult to over-communicate. Okay. Uh, one of the things that people initially said, said to me before I became uh, CEO was, we don't know what's happening. Uh, so every week I send an email to all the board members saying, last week this is what happened. Okay. Every month... I send um, a newsletter to every one of our supporters on our email database saying, this is what we did last month. Mm. So people can see what we, we're doing. And, and that's vital yeah. um, to keep our supporters that uh, they see that their money is being spent and aid is being delivered. Mm. Yes, without doubt, without doubt. Um, do you prefer texting or talking? I uh, prefer talking myself. Um, <laughs> what, what I do find um, is working in developing countries, uh, there's much more of an emphasis on uh, uh, Facebook. And uh, so a lot of the messages I get from our partners overseas or in the form of uh, uh, short text messages through Facebook Messenger. Yeah. <laughs> and what's given you more opportunity? What you know or who you know? Uh, what I know has been the, the, the big thing okay. um, here. Uh, and I'm working on uh, who I know. And hopefully, um, as a result of being on this podcast, a few people might contact me and say, look, we can be partners. Mm. What do you believe that others think is crazy? I've, I believe our motto of safe water for every child mm. is achievable. Oh, I love that. For every child. Love that, love that. And... Fill in the blank. Turning your passion into a profession is? Fulfilling. Mm, beautiful. And lastly, where can people find more about uh, the actual Disaster Aid Australia, Brian? Where can people reach you? Um, ev everything about uh, how to contact us is on our website, which is uh, Disaster Aid Australia au, and we also have a facebook page which is uh, updated typically once a week mm -hmm. and uh, um, that is uh, on facebook disaster Aid australia excellent brian thank you so much for your time you've just been a a real injection of inspiration with your work with what disaster aid does and the vision to be able to provide clean filtered non-contaminated water around the world to kids that is epic thank you so much for being here and telling us about your journey it's been a pleasure it's been a, a fun uh, hour and uh, i've enjoyed it a lot thank you yeah thank you very much for your attention and listening to the unbox your gift podcast we hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did, please do make sure to share it. Please make sure to leave a review on iTunes and on YouTube and let us know your feedback because your feedback is the oxygen that keeps the podcast going. So please do take 30 seconds. We would be truly indebted to your kindness to leave a review. Also, for anyone who is contacting me, please make sure that you email reader at unboxyourgift.com. That's reader at unboxyourgift.com. If you need to email me, because a lot of the time people do email me to refer 
future guests onto the program and it goes into different inboxes or it goes onto our website and sometimes gets lost. But if you wanted to address it to me and let me know a future guest that you'd like, because I get those emails, please do make sure that you email me directly so it comes into my e-box and then we will take it from there. Thank you so much for your time, wherever you are in the world. My advice to myself and to you is that life is a gift and together, let's unbox it. God bless.